Back in the dark days of World War II, when our country was mobilizing thousands of men and women to serve in our military, a guy named Bill was a junior in high school. And he wanted to enlist. He wasn't old enough, so he had to have his parents sign. They did. And within a week of turning 17 years old, he was in boot camp preparing to fight the enemy. As he closed out the last couple years of the war, he was a discharge during the great demobilization that happened in our country. He went back home and he re-enrolled in high school, but the principal didn't really want him there. There's a couple other former service members there as well and, and didn't like him being there. Let that be known. As a matter of fact, he played football. And that year, the football program listed out every player's name. And then at the end, it just said, parentheses, and three former service members and didn't list their names. He left high school, not wanted there. He dropped out again. He rejoined the Navy. After serving for a while, he reconnected with an old high school girlfriend. And they married, actually, in, in a blizzard. And another family could even make it there, but... Uh, they got married, and then they started moving to base to base, wherever Bill was stationed. San Diego, Great Lakes in Chicago, other places on the West Coast. Then they had the first of their three sons, and I'd like to think that he was an exceptional, amazing child, because that's where I entered the story. Bill went on to serve 24 years, served during, for three wars, and retired from the Navy when he was 41 years old. And because of that, like many of you here, I have a deep appreciation for our veterans. And I know you do too. And, and so we always want to honor our vets, and, and I know with, with veterans, sometimes this may get a little, maybe a nuisance, <laughs> I don't know, because a, a lot of them, they, they don't really want any public recognition, and I understand that. But the other side of it is, it's right for us to show our appreciation. I know some vets think, you know, I only serve three or four years. Well, that's three or four years than 98% of us served. It's three or four years more than I served. And so it's right for us to show our appreciation. And because of that, I'd like you to cooperate with us, which you normally do. 
And that is right now I'd like all of our, our veterans to stand so we can show you our appreciation this morning. I'd like you to keep standing at least until you receive just a small token of appreciation from us. And it's just a way, a, another way of, for us to say thank you in some small way. And, and maybe before you leave church today, you'll, you'll grab a cup of Black Rifle coffee that we switched out for the day just in honor of our veterans. And we are so glad you're here. And we so much appreciate your service that keeps our country free and allows us people willing to put themselves in harm's way so that we can have the freedom to worship any way we want. Thank you very much, veterans. We appreciate you. We're talking about Joseph, a series called Rough Crowd, and our story started actually as it was documented in history in Genesis with a Joseph who's 17 years old, he's one of 12 sons, and his 10 older brothers hated him. And, uh, and because of that, they finally conspired to kill him. They ended up deciding to profit off of him by selling him into slavery. They sold him to a slave caravan that was heading down to Egypt. And so when Joseph was heading down that way, everything that he knew was gone. When he got down to Egypt, he was auctioned off, and a man named Potiphar, captain of the bodyguard of Pharaoh, a high official, actually purchased Joseph as a slave. Joseph is described as a, a handsome guy. He, he's a hard worker, and, and all of a sudden, he starts moving up through the slave ranks, as it were, and and everything he does seems to go well. And even Potiphar, his, his owner, knows, hey, God is blessing this young man. Everything he touches turns out well. And finally, Potiphar puts him over his entire household, his whole operation, everything that he does. And uh, unfortunately, about that time, Potiphar's wife started noticing Joseph. And so she tries to get him to sleep with her, and, and he's a God follower. He refuses. He does the right thing. But because of that persistent refusal, finally Potiphar's wife cries rape, and Joseph is thrown into jail. Once he's there in jail, again, uh, he kind of rises up through the ranks, as it were, and even though he's a prisoner, he's in charge of all the other prisoners. And it's about that time that we notice some things with Joseph. First of all, we notice what we were talking about last week, which was no matter what Joseph faced, he lived like God was with him. Even when alone, 
Even when he lost everything, even when faced with temptation, even with, when falsely accused, Joseph lived like God was with him, and, and so should we. But not only did Joseph live that way, but also Joseph showed his faith by the actions that he took. And that's what I want to focus in. We're going to really try to cover some, some ground here. We're going to try to cover chapter 40. We left off at the end of chapter 39. We're going to try to cover chapter 40 and 41 today. And uh, as we get into that, we notice that Joseph's actions showed that he followed God, and ours uh, should too. And so if we follow God, there's some things that should show up in our life. First of all, we should be other-oriented. If you follow God, you should be other-oriented. You should want to take action personally to help others, and we see that in Joseph's life. So here he is in prison. Chapter 40 tells us he's gone up through the ranks, but he's still a prisoner. He's been falsely accused. He shouldn't be there, but he works hard, and he's sort of controlling things, and it's about that time in his life that two high government officials are also thrown into prison. And so while he's there, and we notice a couple things. One thing is that the person who's over the prison is, is chief of the captain of the bodyguard. The chief jailer is under the captain of the bodyguard. The captain of the bodyguard is Potiphar. And so that all kind of ties together. It doesn't really say that. So we assume that if he's still in that possession, that's who he is. But as Joseph's there taking care of the prisoners, these two high officials of Pharaoh are thrown into prison. One is the cupbearer, which is an ancient a high official, a confidant of the, of the king who would serve the wine, maybe taste it himself to make sure it was okay, but also a trusted confidant. And so the cupbearer and the chief baker, the, the guy in charge of the kitchen, of everything uh, that gets set before Pharaoh on his table, these two guys are thrown into prison. Joseph is taking care of them but he's so other-oriented that he notices that while they're in prison, he, one day he finds that, out that they really look bummed out. I mean, they're sad. They're down. And I don't know how down you have to be where it shows up, and it's worse than when you're in prison anyway. But he knows, no, something's troubling them way more than even being in prison. So he asks them, what's going on? And they both tell them, we've each had a dream. They both had two different dreams. And those dreams troubled them more than, than being in prison. And so Joseph says, well, well, what were the dreams? And so the cupbearer starts off. He goes, well, I dreamed last night that a vine grew up quickly and it had three branches. And those three branches budded and then they produced ripe grapes. And then I took a cluster of those grapes and I squeezed it into Pharaoh's cup and I handed it to him. And Joseph says, that's the dream. He says, yeah, that's the dream. And Joseph says, oh, that's easy. These interpretations, they belong to God. That means in three days, Pharaoh is gonna lift you up and restore you to your former position, your former job, and you're gonna be back good with Pharaoh. And the cupbearer goes, Oh, that, that's great. 
And Joseph says, hey, by the way, when that happens, because you're tight with Pharaoh, please remember me and tell him all about what's going on in my life because I've been falsely accused. I shouldn't be here. I'm not even Egyptian. He tells him the whole spiel. Now, the chief baker is hearing all this, and here's Joseph just told this guy, yeah, you're gonna be restored. So the chief baker goes, ooh, 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 me, me next, me next. And so Joseph says, okay, what was, what was your dream? And the chief baker says, I had three baskets of white bread stacked on my head, and in the top basket was filled with all kinds of baked goods. And birds were coming, and they were eating out of the top basket, eating the baked goods. And he says, that's my dream. And, and Joseph says, so that's your dream? He goes, well, okay, well, here's what that means. In three days, you will be lifted up, and you will be hung, actually impaled in a tree. And birds will come and pick the flesh off of your body. And he said, that's the last time I ever let you interpret one of my dreams. <laughs> and what's going on there is in the culture of, of the Egyptians, they believed that dream interpretation, that a bunch of gods and dreams were important, and they actually had professional dream interpreters, but these guys are in prison, they don't have access. But Joseph tells them what's gonna happen, and sure enough, Three days later, the cupbearer is restored to his position, and he's back in the good graces of the Pharaoh. Actually, what's happening there is there's a party three days later, and that's when he's lifted up. We actually have archaeological evidence that Pharaohs would, either on their birthdays or anniversaries of their rule, they would pardon people. That's exactly what happened to the cupbearer. And then the baker is killed just as Joseph described. And so that's great news, and Joseph is excited. He knows that's gonna come true, and he can't wait. And then all of a sudden, days start going by, and nothing, he's still in jail. And then weeks, and then months, and then years, he doesn't hear anything. And so when you live for God, no matter what your situation you should personally take action, personal action, to help other people because God followers are other-oriented. But it's not only that. As we dig a little further into Joseph's life, we realize that if we're God followers, that we should be humble. And, of course, the reason we should be humble is because we know that everything good that we have is from God. And that also shows up in Joseph's life this humility, because remember, as, as a young kid, maybe not so humble. Remember, he had the two dreams, and he had to tell his brothers all about it. And then the second dream, he had to tell his brothers and his parents, where not only his brothers hated him, even his dad, he was his dad's favorite. His dad's like, what are you talking about? Even he's, he reprimands him. He's sort of brash. He seems to be self-centered. It's all about him, kind of a guy. All this is going on, and he interprets their dreams. And so it says, uh, again, this humility in Genesis 48, when they said to him, 
We've had a dream and there's no one to interpret. Then Joseph said to them, don't interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. You see what he's saying? When he, he knows he can interpret these dreams, but he knows it's only because of God. So he tells them right up front, hey, I can't do this, but God can. So he nails the interpretations. Nothing happens. He's still in prison. Now we pick it up in Genesis 41, verse 1. Now it happened that at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. And behold, he was standing by the Nile, and lo, from the Nile there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed in the marsh grass. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them from the Nile, ugly and gaunt, and they stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. The ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven sleek and fat cows, then Pharaoh awoke. I mean, I think I would wake up about that, you know, cows eating cows, cow cannibalism. He wakes up. Whoa. He continues. He fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain came up on a single stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven ears, thin and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up after them. The thin ears swallowed up the seven plump ears, plump and full ears. Then Pharaoh woke, and behold, it was a dream. Now, in the morning, his spirit was troubled. So he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And the Pharaoh told him his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I'd make mention today of my own offenses. Pharaoh was furious with his servant and put me in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard, both me and the chief baker. We had a dream on the same night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now a Hebrew youth was with us there, a servant of the captain of the bodyguard, and we related them to him and he interpreted our dreams for us. Each one he interpreted according to his own dream. And just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me to my office, but he hanged him. So see what's happening here? Pharaoh is troubled by his dreams. Not good when the Pharaoh's troubled. And so he's got all the wise men coming in to tell him what, what, what it means. And we don't know if they just said, we don't have a clue, or they took some shots at it, and Pharaoh said, no, I don't think so. We don't know how that played out. But as that was happening, and Pharaoh is not satisfied, the cupbearer, who's hanging out with Pharaoh, he hears all this interaction with the wise men, and then he, you know, he does, you know what guys do? Hey, I know a guy. Hey, you got a problem? Hey, I know a guy. Cupbearer cup does that. Hey, I know a guy. This Hebrew guy in prison. Remember that ugly chapter in our lives? Yeah, there's a guy there. And so that's what he does. So 14, it continues. Then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph. And they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. So all of a sudden, he's been languishing in prison for two more years. This could be on his birthday again or anniversary again. We don't know. And then all of a sudden, Joseph's there. Two years later, out of nowhere, Joseph, Pharaoh wants to see you. And so he's got to get shaved up. 
You look into this a little deeply, he doesn't really get a full change of garments, he just gets really nice garments to put on top of the stuff that he's wearing, and I guess they're just gonna hope that Pharaoh doesn't notice the smell, but the point is, they're getting him in there fast, and probably on the way there as they're hustling him along, shaving him, getting the, the proper attire on him, at least his outer garments, they're also telling him, okay, now you're talking to Pharaoh, now here's the way you do that, right? Here's the protocol. And so boom, He's before he's rushed in to Pharaoh. Next verse. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, but no one can interpret it. I've heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph then answered Pharaoh saying, it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Kind of gutsy here. But again, he's got the humility to say, well, it's not me, it's God. So before Pharaoh, he's, he's giving God all the credit. And he's humble, like all of us should be. Because anything that we have to be proud of, if it's actually good, we know it's from God. So we all should be humble in that way. And, and, and you know, and here... Here, Joseph, he's a hard worker, it seems like, everything he does. And some of us will say, yeah, yeah, I'm, I, I want to be like Joseph. I'm a hard worker. And, and when you say, yeah, I'm a hard worker, that's great. We should all, as followers, be hard workers. But how are we able to do that? It's God that gives us the wits and the energy and the drive and the work ethic to pull that off. It's all God. When you live for God, you're other-oriented and you're humble. But the story continues. And when you live for God, you go public with your faith. When you live for God, you go public as a God follower. Continuing verse 25. Now Joseph said to Pharaoh, after Pharaoh explains the dreams. Now Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same. He had two kind of parallel dreams. And then I'm going to supply some words here, so bear with me. The God has told Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one and the same. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven thin ears scorched by the east wind will be seven years of famine. As it is, I have spoken to Pharaoh, the God, I'm sorry, it is as I've spoken to Pharaoh, the God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Behold, seven years of great abundance are coming in all the land of Egypt, and after them, seven years of famine will come. And all the abundance will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will ravage the land. So the abundance will be unknown in the land because of, of that subsequent famine, for it will be very severe. Now as for repeating the dream to Pharaoh twice, it means that the matter is determined by the God, and the God will quickly bring it about. And at this point, there's a little shift and uh, what's happening here, and by the reason why I'm, I'm right, saying the God, is here, Joseph, there's this interchange where they talk about God. 
But sometimes, and, and there's a lot of times in the Hebrew Bible where it says, it just says God and we know big G, that's God. But there's other times in the Hebrew Bible where it says the, there's an article, a definite article where it says the God, but we don't translate it because we know it's God. Well, here in this story, sometimes they're just talking about God, but when he's before Pharaoh, here, four times here, he's saying the God. He's using the article. And when he's doing that, he's talking to Pharaoh, who is considered by the people kind of like a God. He's the intermediary between human beings and all the gods. Pharaoh is considered divine. But he's standing publicly before Pharaoh saying, not just God is showing this, but Pharaoh's good with that. He's saying the God, the God in verse 25 and verse 28 and twice in verse 32. He keeps saying the God. So it continues. And, and then it shifts from now he's said what the dream means, but now he's going to start giving advice. So probably at this point, all the people standing around in Pharaoh's court are kind of going, oh, that was a good interpretation. But then Joseph keeps talking and they're like, uh-oh. Well, okay, now you're going to start telling Pharaoh what to do. Woo, okay. All right, we'll be impaling this guy here in a minute. You know, it's kind of what they're thinking. Verse 33. Now let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh take action to appoint overseers in charge of the land and let him exact a fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven years of abundance. Then let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain for food in the cities under Pharaoh's authority and let them guard it. Let the food become as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which will occur in the land of Egypt so that the land will not perish during the famine. That's his advice. Now, the, the proposal seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his servants. They're like, okay, good plan. Then Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has informed you of all this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only in the throne will I be greater than you. Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put the gold necklace around his neck. He had him ride in his second chariot and they proclaimed before him, Bow the knee! And he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Though I am Pharaoh, yet without your permission, no one shall raise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. So here they have this interchange, and now Joseph is promoted. But he's promoted right after he sort of goes public for God. He's saying, hey, Pharaoh, he's the humble guy. It's not me. God can do this, and it's God telling you, and sort of I'm just the mouthpiece here, but this is between you and God. Not, not just God, the God. And even after all that, so 
you know, this probably happened in 20 minutes or so. Joseph goes from being in a dungeon for two years to being promoted to the number two man in the most powerful empire in the world at this time. He goes public. Even when it's politically incorrect. And let's face it. Most of us probably wouldn't do that. Most of us probably think, okay, I got all this stuff to say, but I'm going to downplay some of this because it's not politically correct. That this is offensive to the court and to him that I'm talking about the God or that I just start giving advice. But Joseph goes public just like we should. How many of you watched the Ohio State-Indiana game yesterday? Yeah, I was watching, watching that game. I had flipped away. And I flipped back, and then I caught this interview when I flipped back. I don't know if you saw it on the field. CJ, congratulations on the win, and I want you to tell me about this guy, Cameron Babb, what he means to the group. I just got to say Jesus Christ right then and there, man. So he, he helped me get back on track with my faith. Uh, he, he's the most respected on our team, and I'm just super proud of him. Uh, he he's really has a calling on his life, and he's even uh, brought people with him, which is very special. So I'm super happy for him. Uh, this team, we're behind him, and he's behind us. So uh, I'm just super happy. Biggest takeaway for you from this win, this dominant performance, because you guys are far from done this season. Right, yeah. Um, first of all, I got to always give my glory and praise to God to be out here again with my brothers. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a step in the right way. Uh, definitely felt good to get some, get some better playing there with some good weather. Here, this is C.J. Stroud, the quarterback at OSU. She's saying, hey, tell me about this guy, Cameron Babs. And he says, how would you describe me? He says, Jesus Christ is what comes to my mind because he helped me get my faith back on track. And then who watched the post-game interview, you know, when they're at the podium? And, and this is going around video. This, that video is hard to get. But the post-game interview, these two young men, both of them, keep saying Anything that I do good, it's all because of Jesus. Over and over, they work it, and you should watch it. Because they keep saying it. They are bold for their faith. They go public for Jesus. And we should be the same way. In our homes, among our relatives, with our friends, at school, at work, don't think that people will sort of figure out that you're a Christian because you have a decal on your back window, which we, I love it when people have the decals on the back windows. But don't just let them figure that out. We need to say something. We, whatever it is. Before I saw that, um, you know, I, I was at, I, my habit is I go to the rec on Saturdays and I'm there and I walk in and there's this other guy and he's working, I, I didn't know, you know, know him well or anything. And then he said, yeah, I'm here. You know, we just kind of said a few words while we were getting, I was getting started and he was already there. And he says something like, yeah, you know, I'll just keep doing this. It'll cause me to live longer, right? And I go, yeah, well, that's the plan. But if it doesn't work out by God's grace, I know where I'm going on the other side. So it really, it's okay either way. There's a thousand ways every day that we can point to God, and that's what we should be doing. Now, one of the ways that God's telling all believers is that once we have put our faith in Jesus, 
that we should follow him of believer's baptism. That's what we plan to do next week. Before you get baptized, we always want to have you talk to one of our pastors just so we understand. Just a a three-minute conversation. Just understand we know that you're thinking this is not salvation. This is a testimony of our faith. So, and, And we have several signed up. But if you know you should be doing this next week and you haven't signed up, I'm, I'm going to make a way for you to still get into this because otherwise you're going to put it on a card and then somebody's going to call you and you're not going to be home and it'll be, you know, then it'll be, you'll be playing voice tag and then they'll try to get you and you'll be rushing in on Friday to talk to somebody. Here's what you can do. After this service is over, just go to room one, say, Kevin said I needed to talk to a pastor because I want to get baptized and we'll have your meeting right there. It'll slow you getting home by two or three minutes but you'll be going public with your faith next week. And then leading up to next week for everybody who's set to get baptized, invite all your friends and family. Hey, I'm getting baptized Sunday. What, you're getting baptized? Oh, I did that when I was a little, you know, I did that when I was an infant. Yeah, well, I'm getting baptized. You gotta come and check it out. There's a bunch of people there. You should come and check it out. Nine or 10.30, and you'll know which. And just invite them. Go public for your faith. However you do it, Go public with your faith. So God followers, they're kind. We care about others and take personal action. We're humble. We go public regarding our faith. And we also work like we're working for God. And we already talked about this, but it continues. This historical record in verse 45, it says, Then Pharaoh named Joseph Zaphonath Paneah and gave him Azanath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On as his wife. And Joseph went forth over the land of Egypt. Now Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh. That means he spent 13 years as a slave, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven years of plenty of the land, he brought the land brought forth abundantly, so he gathered all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and placed the food in the cities. He placed in every city the food from its own surrounding fields. And what's happening here? Right, on, we, we get this, he's promoted, and then he hits the ground running. He's a former slave. He was a slave earlier today. And he hits the ground running. He's not passive. He went out, he worked the plan, he did what he said. For seven years, he collected 20% of the produce from the fields. And it went well, he didn't back off. He had the work ethic to finish it out. And notice, he sort of stores the grain as locally as he can, which is kind of interesting. This is not like a big communist socialist thing he's actually storing the grain nearest the closest place he can store it to the workers who produce it and by his storing of the grain he will then give them the ability to purchase grain in the next seven years and the other thing is okay they've got this 20 percent they got to give it's like a tax but probably because of the abundance they might not have even noticed the 20 percent Because maybe their fields, they were harvesting 120 because it was so abundant for the seven years. And that's how it all plays out. That's Joseph, verse 49 says, stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he stopped measuring it. For it was beyond measure. 
And that's interesting because when the famine hits after the seven years, first year of famine, all the people run to Pharaoh and they cry out, Pharaoh, you need to help us, relieve us. And Pharaoh says, go to Joseph, which it's not surprising he points him to Joseph. What's surprising is that Pharaoh doesn't say, go to Zephinanath Paniah, the name that he gave Joseph. No, Pharaoh says, Hey, go, everybody's calling Joseph by his Hebrew name. Even Pharaoh starts calling Joseph by his Hebrew name. Go to that guy. Go to Joseph. He'll take care of you. God followers are kind, humble. We're public about our faith. We work hard. One last thing. God followers remember what God has done. Joseph was given that Egyptian name that even Pharaoh quit using. But notice he makes sure, at the, end of the, at the end of this record, he makes sure that he gives his two sons Hebrew names that remind him about God's faithfulness and goodness. With everything that happened, all the bad that happened in Israel that he sold as a slave, and then everything he went through in Egypt... Joseph still identifies with God's people and he wanted his kids to identify with God's people. We see that in verse 50. It says, now before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, whom Azanath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. It's kind of an interesting phrase there, forget all my father's household. So Manasseh means making forget. It's like Joseph is saying, I let, I let that go. Now notice, he's in Egyptian culture, so there's gonna be a bunch of Egyptians around going, whoa, 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 you named your kids Hebrew names? You're second in command of all Egypt, the greatest nation in the world. You have two sons and you give them Hebrew names. That makes no sense. Didn't the Hebrews betray you? Aren't they the ones, as you say, kidnapped you, sold you into slavery? Those people? Yep, Joseph says, God blessed anyway, and I let that stuff go. He still identifies himself not just with God, but with God's people, not the wrongs done to him in the past. And he wanted his kids not to identify just with God, but with God's people. And it continues in verse 52. And he named the second Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Ephraim means doubly fruitful, because God made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. He's saying... Notice his Egyptian friends would be saying, made you fruitful in the land of your affliction. Canaan was the land of your affliction. Canaan's the land where they sold you as a slave. Here you've become second in all of Egypt. And he goes, no. All that's behind me. He's saying, God is faithful. God has made me fruitful, and I identify with God's people. Actually, Ephraim and Manasseh go on to be 
one, two of the 12 tribes of Israel, and you're asking, well, how can that be? There's already 12 sons before these guys. What's going on there? Well, you're going to have to come back to find that out. Because that's kind of interesting how that does. So Joseph knew God was with him. God had preserved him. God had blessed him. Even in a pagan nation, and this is what we need to remember, even in a pagan nation, Joseph followed God and thrived. And he kept unapologetically identifying himself as being part of God's people. That's exactly the way we should live. We can too. What's interesting in this is Joseph never reaches out to his family back in Canaan after becoming second overall in all of Egypt. Now we're 14 years that he's been in charge of Egypt, has had no connection with his family. But the family is coming back into the picture because of this famine. Verse 57 says, but the people of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the earth. And if you want to know how that plays out, come back next time. And that's where we're going to pick it up. Let's pray together. Father God in heaven, Father, we thank you for this record of Joseph's life and and how we can apply spiritual truths in it to our own lives. And so, Father, help us to live out the Christian life. Help us to live like we should as followers of God. Lord, that we would personally take action to help others. Lord, that we would be humble. And Lord, that we would go public with our faith. We would let others know verbally that we follow you. Lord, help us to work hard. Help us to remember what you've done for us. And that's what we want to do right now. God, for those of us in the room who have become believers, that we've put our our faith and trust in your son Jesus and him alone for our salvation. God, help us to follow you more closely. And Father, we also pray for those who have not come to that point yet, who, who are just like we were. Lord, that you would draw them, that you would help them to see, that you would get their questions answered, that they would be able to take this step of faith. God, thank you. In Christ's name, amen.